you have your Bible, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I realize that many who are in attendance today haven't been here the last two weeks or maybe visiting with our church. So in just a way of review, Titus chapter 2, Paul is speaking to uh, a minister who he has commissioned to, to ordain elders on the island of Crete, and he has instructed him what he is to speak or what he is to teach uh, to those church members of the churches on that island, that the aged men would be sober and grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity and patience. He goes on to teach what the older women should be taught and then what they should be teaching the younger women, what the younger men should be uh, teaching. Paul goes on to, to instruct Titus in how he is to behave. And then in verse 9, he says, exhort servants, or this would be slaves, to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining or stealing or, or uh, being thieves, but showing all good fidelity. And here's the reason, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. A, a lot of the, the instruction in the Bible in how we are to behave is not just so we'll have a good life. Now, if you follow that, you probably will have a much better life. It's, it's not just so we would conform our ways to the ways of God, but much of the instruction, whether it was the instruction that God gave to Israel or the instruction that is still relevant to us today, is so that God may look better to the world around us, that we would behave in such a way that people would see the Lord, that we would let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. And he says, you want to act this way that because these are the things that become or become sound doctrine, not that they would, in a way, there are teachings that would somehow morph into sound doctrine, but the word there to become means that they would adorn sound doctrine. They would make it look better, right? You, If, if you've ever... Um, Maybe you've been in a service and you've heard someone say something in a mean way or derogatory way, maybe about other religions or other denominations. They can be speaking the truth, but making it look bad to others, right? We want to speak in such a way that our doctrine is, is becoming to others and also that God's name would be glorified. You may remember when, when the prophet Nathan, I believe it is, came to David after his sin with Bathsheba, um, not, not, not only was that bad what he had done, committing adultery, um, having a man killed, but he said, you've given great opportunities for the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of God. So we want to live in such a way that we don't give the enemies of God uh, reason to blaspheme his name. But, the, but in verse 10, I want you to get this. What Paul is talking about is God our Savior that God is our Savior. God's not just a, a distant being that is not involved in our lives. He's involved to the point that He saved us even from ourselves. <laughs> he is our Savior. God, our Savior. And in verse 11, He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And it is the grace of God. If God is a Savior, then He must bring salvation, right? You can't be a savior, but not bring salvation. That just, that just makes sense, right? 
Well, he says it's the grace of God that brings salvation. It's appeared to all men. Not all men without exceptions, but all kinds of men. To old men, young men, free men, enslaved men, to, uh, to people in the pew, to people in the pulpit. He has, he has shown his grace to all kinds of men, Jews and Gentiles. All a Jew, Titus, a Gentile. He, is, he, is, he has shown his grace to all sorts of men. And he says that grace teaches us, the grace of God that saves us also teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And then in verse 13, he points them to their hope to continue on in this world looking for that blessed hope. That is a, that is a happy hope and the glorious appearing of the, now listen to what he says here, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So chapter 2 is not just about what we are to teach others or what others are to teach us or how we're to behave. Chapter 2 of the book of Titus is about our Savior. Do <laughs> you see that? All of Scripture, honestly, is about our Savior. Jesus told a group uh, at one point, He said, search the Scriptures for them and they think you have eternal life, and they are they, they, are they which testify of me. There's some scripture that I've, I've had a hard time seeing. Where do you see Jesus in this? But if you spend enough time and God blesses you, I believe you could see Christ from Genesis to Revelation and all things. But here in, in Titus chapter 2, it's not just about how we're to behave as a church or what we're to teach as older men or younger men or older women or, or younger women. It is about God, our Savior. And so I wanted to get to verse 14 today, and that's the, the only verse that, that we'll probably look at. And, and it is going to, Paul is going to summarize how Christ, the, the, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the way, that's the same person he's referring to. Christ is the great God. Christ was in the beginning when they said, let there be light. Christ was there. Christ is the eternal Son of God. He's always been the Son of God. He always will be the Son of God. He is part of the triune Godhead. And he says, our great God and our Savior. How did God save us? How did God save his people? And so in verse 14, you have five words that summarize for all of us in, in great simplicity how Christ saved us. And Paul says, who gave himself for us. He, he's, he's going about talking about the grace of God and what the grace of God teaches us and what we should be looking for. But now he's going to summarize in verse 14. This is how God saved us, that he sent his son into the world and Christ, that is the who there, Christ gave himself for us. He delivered himself for us. He, he gave himself over as payment for us. The ones who actually owed something to God but had nothing to pay. Our debt was paid by the one who owed nothing to God, but had everything to give, right? He gave himself for us. You know, last week we talked about eschatology, right? How it can get very confusing. Well, soteriology is the study of salvation, and you can get very detailed in, in the foreknowledge of God and, and God's electing grace and predestination. And you can talk about redemption or the or the resurrection or your glorification that's that's already uh, that's going to happen in the future but 
but the, the main point of, of the scriptures, the main point of salvation, the, the, the rock on which our salvation rests is what did Christ do for you? If God would have, would have chosen you, but Christ wouldn't have fulfilled the covenant, if, if, um, if Christ wouldn't have fulfilled... And by the way, your salvation is, is all wrapped up in a covenant that God entered to by Himself before the world ever began. Do we believe that today? Are y'all with me today? Um, it was all based upon what, what God was going to do for you and the focal point of that covenant was the execution of it, which God planned Himself to take place at Calvary. That's, that, is the, that is the focal point of history, is, the, is, is this, the, the, the substitutionary atonement of Christ for you. And from the very beginning of the Bible, that's what we see. You remember when Adam and Eve, they disobeyed the commandment of God? And the first thing they do is they try to run and hide from God and they sew fig leaves together to try to cover their nakedness and their shame, which, is, which was never going to work, right? And what does God do? God comes down to meet with them and, and He sheds the blood of an animal to make coats of skin for Adam and Eve. And so when, when God did that, He had to sacrifice one... One being, an animal was sacrificed so that they could be covered from their nakedness and shame. We see that, that, that this, this sacrifice took place. Um, I believe it's Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham is called to go up into the mount and to offer his only begotten son Isaac. And, 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 and a great test of faith for this man Abraham. And Abraham goes up on the mount and he's, he's about... To, to, to drive the knife into his own son. And the angel of the Lord stays his hands and there's a ram caught in a thicket. And so we see that the, the ram would go on to be the, sub, the, be, to be the sacrifice instead of Isaac and he would be a substitute instead of Isaac. It's a substitutionary atonement. And there's no greater picture of that than in the Exodus when, when the 10th plague is going to be... Uh, doled out upon Egypt and and the children of God or the Israelites uh, they have to you know to dip uh, the, the rod and the hyssop into the blood and cover uh, the, the the doorpost with the blood of the lamb and when the uh, when when death would pass upon all the firstborn in that lamb those whose homes were covered by the blood would not die and so you see that that one thing was sacrificed and applied to a certain group of people so they could live, but something had to die. And those are all pictures that are building up to the great transaction that would take place at Calvary where the one who was innocent would die for the ones who were guilty. Can y'all think of a greater exchange in human history than, than, than the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the one who said he came to give his life for the sheep. And in Matthew 20, he says, I came to give my life a ransom for many. I believe it's in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is encouraging the elders at Ephesus. He says, who, who purchased the church that you're to be overseers of with his own blood. He shed his own blood for you. Um, 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, I've quoted this many times here. To me, it's, 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 it's the great exchange. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You say, how could I be made righteous? It's because God made His Son to be sin for us so that we could get the imputed righteousness of Christ so that we could be righteous before Him. That's mind-blowing. Is it the righteous for the ruined rebels? Uh, the one who uh, the book of Hebrews calls says that he was in the express image of God given for those who were bearing the fallen image of Adam. That, that blows my mind that that would take place. That the, the faithful one would give his, his life for the faithless. The, the one who was at all times one with the Father would give his life for those who were at odds and enmity to him. And so when, when Paul says here, who gave himself for us, I have to start thinking, why would he do that? Have you ever had those moments when you, you feel the love, you, you, you feel God's presence in your life, you feel that God has taken care of your your sin so that you can be with Him forever. And you come to a point where you say, why me, Lord? <laughs> wasn't, that, wasn't that a song at one time? Why me, Lord? And, and, and the greatest answer, we're, I'm going to try to look at a few of those answers today, but the greatest answer I can give you is this, His love. <laughs> For His great love wherein He has loved us. <laughs> That's why He blessed us because of His love. Um, in, in, the book of, in, the, in the book of John, I believe it's John chapter 15. Paul, uh, Jesus is instructing His disciples. And He says, this is My commandment. Verse 12, John 15 and 12. This is My commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now listen to what Jesus is saying here. There is no greater or, or, or larger or deeper or stronger form of love than that you would give up or lay down your life for someone else. He says his friends. That means someone that you're, you're fond of. I've, I've said this here before, but we can't honestly say that we're loving one another if we're not sacrificing something that we want for the sake of others. You can't have love without sacrifice, right? You can't, that's, and that's what Jesus is saying. The greatest form of love, the ultimate form of love, is that somebody would give of his life for his friends, for those that he is fond of. And I'm going to tell you, that's a call on, on, on me. There's times that, that, yeah, I might want to be doing something else than, than what the church calls on me to do. But if I really love you, I would give of, of my wants or my desires for you. Think about husbands and wives or, or fathers and children or mothers and children. Uh, what, what greater love could you have to maybe, maybe it's that you don't pursue that whatever it is that you want in your life. You, you, you lay that aside while your children are in your home to give to your daughter or to give to your son. And that could be a, a, a man or the, you know, the mom or the dad that you give of yourself for them. That is the great. Jesus says that is the greatest 
form of love that man has ever known is to is to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of others. He says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. This was a commandment that was given by God. But here's my question. What about your enemies? <laughs> right? It's it's it is it is very easy for me. If Brother Mark called me tonight and I was I was in bed about to go to sleep or I was asleep. And and he he woke me up and he said I'm broken down on the side of the road. I, I believe I believe I would get out of bed. He said I need your help and I would go help him cuz I love him. Um I'm not bragging. I'm just giving y'all an example. Sister Allison is here. She was she was in the hospital one night um, because of that. Do you remember the the dog attack? And um, uh, brother Norman called me to tell me what had happened. And 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 I, I suffer from allergies. Many of y'all know that. And I had just taken two Benadryl. <laughs> I was ready to go to sleep. <laughs> And um, I went up to Brookwood Hospital that night, and, and I'm not bragging on myself, but Brother Norman, I guess not here today, but that's why I was asleep over there where everybody else was talking. But it was easy for, I didn't have to really think about that. I wanted to do that because I, I love Sister Allison. I love Brother Norman. And I think there's a, many of you in this room today, if I called you tonight, said I need something, you'd come do it because you love me, right? I'm your friend. But, but what about those people that have done wrong to you, right? Now, this is the high calling of a Christian to love your enemies. But we, if we're going to be honest, we're fallen people, right? We don't have to act like we're perfect. There are some people that if you found out they were in trouble, you might help them. I get that. But you might not jump out of bed to help them just like you would if Brother Mark called, right? And maybe there's some people you hear something's happened to them and Instead of feeling bad for them, you, you feel like, well, it's about time they got what was coming to them. Because those are your enemies. They're people that, that maybe have done wrong to you. It's hard to, to have that kind of love where you will sacrifice for those who actually oppose you. I was reading recently, I had to write his name down so I wouldn't forget it, of a, a Confederate sergeant. His name was Richard Kirkland. He was 19 years old. He's known as the Angel of Mary's Height. And in the Battle of Fredericksburg, Virginia, the Confederate soldiers were lined up on top of a hill behind a stone wall. They were in safety. And the Union Army had been given commands from Washington that they were supposed to take that hill and win that battle. And, and, and group after group would charge up the hill only to be wounded and to be slaughtered. And, and, and thousands of young men would, would go up that hill. And, and the Confederate Army was in safety. They were protected by this wall and by the hill. And, and so as the, the night was coming on, the battle stopped. And there were hundreds, if not thousands, of young Union soldiers just lying in the field, dying, freezing to death. It was winter. They didn't have water. And this 19-year-old boy begged his commander and finally got approval that he would take water to his enemy on the other side of that wall. And one man 
gathered up the canteens, jumped over the, the protect, left his protection, and was actually fired upon because they didn't know what, what he was doing. But it, it came, the, both armies that were gathered there to fight each other that day quickly realized that he's not going to hurt his enemy. He was going to take them water, try to bring them warmth, try to position them into a comfortable position maybe before they died. And for 90 minutes, they, they, both armies watched this man do this. And it said as he went back to the safety of the wall, as he, as he stopped doing this, that both armies broke out in cheer and the battle ended because they had seen the love that this 19-year-old boy displayed that day. He was later wounded and died in the war. There's a memorial to him today, and that, that, that stone wall is still standing. I'd like to see it one day. But do you see how his, his love for his enemies ended in peace between two opposing armies? And they'd go on to fight again one day. But love is what motivates peace in this world. And love is what motivated peace between us and God. But love alone couldn't do it. There had to be a sacrifice that had to be made. And that's why Paul says he gave himself for us. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10. It says, God commends his love towards us. How does God show us his love? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, Christ was willing to die for his enemies. Isn't that amazing? Christ was willing to leave his safety, leave his honor to come down to rescue us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4-8 through eight says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so when Paul says to Titus that he gave himself for us, he means the one who knew no sin took upon humanity only to die on a cross for you. That's what he means in those five words. That Christ came to give himself for you. And so why did he die? Certainly his love is what motivated him to do that. But we get a glimpse into why he died for us in the rest of verse 14. The first is to rescue back his people who were taken by sin. Do you remember? I think it's Genesis chapter 13 and 14 where Lot has gone to Sodom and there's a war and they take Lot, uh, they kidnap Lot. This is very, very interesting stuff to read. And Abraham gets about 300 men that he trained up and they go back to rescue his, his family who had been enslaved, who had been kidnapped uh, uh, by these other opposing 
armies. Well, a lot like that. That's what Jesus did when he left heaven. He was coming down here on a mission to take the ones that he loved before the world ever began who had been enslaved to sin, had been enslaved to the nature of Adam, and he was going to get them back. That was his mission. That, 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 that inspires me. That, that fires me up to think about that. Jesus didn't come to earth to give us a good lesson or to show us leadership skills. He did all that. Jesus came to earth to save His people. That's what the angel said. For He shall save His people. <laughs> and so He says that He came to redeem us from all iniquity, who gave Himself for us, verse 14, that He might redeem us from all, from all iniquity. Iniquity is unrighteousness. Iniquity is not meeting the qualifications that you need to meet. And none of us have done that. Even from our earliest age, we are unrighteous because of our iniquity. When, when, when David is, is repenting to God in, in Psalm 51 in verse 5, he says, Behold, I was shapen, I was formed, I was created in iniquity. I was, I was from the very get-go, I was off. I missed the mark of, of the, the calling of God. I missed the standards that God had, had set for me. I was formed in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. From our very beginning, we do not meet the standards that God has for His people and His beings. We've missed the mark. Isaiah talks about our iniquities separating us from God. And so here he says that Christ came to give Himself that He might redeem us from all iniquity. That is to buy us back from what we had been enslaved to. Do you see that? He gave. What was the pay? What was the payment that God demanded so that He could He could bring us back into His family, look upon us in love, not in wrath or in judgment? What was the payment? The only payment that could be made was the was the death of His only begotten Son. That's it. Your good works couldn't have earned you a way to heaven. Uh, your decisions couldn't have made a way for you to go to heaven. Matter of fact, without Him coming to do this, you would never want to go to heaven because you love sin. That's, that's my biggest problem half the time is I love sin. I think, how did I get to thinking about this? Because I love it. There's a part of me that I hate. Can y'all relate to that? <laughs> And it's full of iniquity and it loves, it loves the things of this world. That's why, that's why Paul had said that you need to look at the grace of God to teach you to, to deny the worldly lusts. But, but listen, if Christ wouldn't have come, I would have been just happy living in filth. But it would have led to misery and, and much more than that, it would have led to eternal separation from my God. And so something had to come to pay the price to, to win me back from that iniquity. And it was Christ on the cross. See, that is the central focus of, the, of salvation is Christ on the cross. Victory in Jesus. <laughs> that old, old story. He says He came that He might redeem us from... And I want you to get this, child of God. Because many of you are probably, th some of you are thinking right now, but you're, you're, you're recounting things that maybe you've done today. <laughs> maybe you've done this week where you missed the mark. And if you live another day, you're going to miss it again. And if you, love it, if you live another year, you're going to miss it many times. But listen to what Paul said, that Christ came to redeem us from 
all iniquity. Every iniquity, every unrighteous thought, every unrighteous deed, everything you've ever said or done was laid upon Him at the cross. It is all gone. God loves you today as much as He will ever love you. You are as free today as you will ever be in the sight of God because He gave him, He substituted Himself for us. He is both our propitiation and our expiation. Christ is our propitiation, meaning that He, he through His sacrifice, ended any wrath that God has towards you. And He is our expiation because He removed any sin that you could ever carry in this life. Isn't that amazing? He has removed all iniquity from you. Why did Christ come? To remove your iniquity. And not just some of it, all of it. All of it. Everything you've ever done. Don't, listen, there are things that I think about that I've done in my life and they bring me shame and sometimes they weigh me down. But I'm going to tell you, I believe that's from the devil because Christ isn't thinking about it. God isn't thinking about it. If you've repented of it and you've moved on from it, don't worry about it because the devil's the one that wants to accuse you and bring you down and bring you shame and give you depression and give you anxiety. All those things because you did this or you did that. Or Christ knew you did it, knew you were going to do it, and died for you anyway. That's, that's greater love, isn't it? That's the kind of love that, that, that I want for my enemies and for you. And that's the kind of love I want to look into when I think about who I am and, what, and, and, and how far I fall short of the glory of God. I want to think about that kind of love that loved me anyways. That loved me. I want, to be the kind of, I want to be the kind of father that loves them anyways. Don't you? I want to be the kind of church member that, oh, I don't, I don't like the, the, the way they painted this or did that, but I'm going to love them anyways. <laughs> I don't like the way they said this to me, but I'm going to love them. Well, I want, I want church members that are going to love them anyways. That's the kind of church you can't divide, right? I want friends who are going to love me anyways. I, I want to be, I want, I want to pastor the kind of church that's going to love me anyways. <laughs> because we have a God that loves us anyways. And I'm going to tell you, I believe there are many people whom Christ has died for and He has, he has taken away all their iniquity and, and they are living rebellious lives towards Him, but He loves them anyways. Don't y'all love that? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 19, Paul speaking to Timothy about those whose faith and their discipleship had been had been overthrown, it'd been destroyed, it was shipwrecked. They had no more, they they weren't church going people, they weren't continuing as disciples. But he says this nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. <laughs> I, I take comfort in the fact of knowing that that even though I don't know who are his, and you don't know who are his, and the religious elite. Uh, of, of the world today, they don't know who are His, but Christ knows them that are His. And I think, I think when you look at who is going to be in heaven uh, at the final wrap-up of all things, it's a number that no man can number out of every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, uh, you know, every every family of the earth. It, it's it, it's it's more people that than than have repented and 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 tried to pay for their own iniquities. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It, 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 it is a grand multitude of people 
And the reason they will be there is because Christ gave Himself for them. But at the end of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and verse 19, after he says that, that the Lord knows them that are His, he says this, and let everyone that names the name of Christ, that would be us, depart from iniquity. He saved you from your iniquity. Now the call on you is to depart from your iniquity. No longer live that kind of lifestyle. No longer uh, follow those worldly lusts or ungodliness. So that leads us to the second reason that Christ came to die for us. And it was to create or to cleanse unto himself of people who would honor him and would be a light for good in this world. He says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He says that Christ came to give himself to redeem you. And as he redeemed you from all iniquity, what that did is it purified unto him a special people. It cleansed a special people. Going back to the effects of your sin, you know, your sin can make you feel dirty and unwanted and like there's no way that God could want me. But no, if, if, if you love God today, if you feel the call of God on your life, that means you're no longer those things that you once were. You've been cleansed. You've been, the dirt has been washed away. The grime is gone. You are whiter than snow in the eyes of God. You are purified. And he says this, that he, the reason that he did that is he wanted to purify unto himself. He wanted to bring unto himself a peculiar people. That word means a chosen people, a, a particular people. This is, this is a group of people that belong exclusively to him. <laughs> you know, it can feel, it can feel, um, it can feel bad to be left out. Um, I believe Brother John Melvin was here, here recently. He was talking about people that get picked last, and you know, as a as a white, overweight, slow boy with asthma, I can I can relate. <laughs> I didn't always get picked first at dodgeball, or <laughs> um, but I can tell you, it doesn't matter what the world will exclude you from. You have been accepted into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? And, and, the, and the way you can be, or the way you are accepted into the family of God, is not from somehow you purifying yourself, but it was the sacrifice of Christ that purified unto himself a peculiar people. See, Christ knew that if he'd have left it up to us, none of us had the ability or the want to to purify ourselves. He'd never have a pure people to worship him. That's what we are today, by the way. Do you understand? We are pure people worshiping God. Yeah, you say, well, I, I, I fell short this week. I fell short this week. But in the eyes of God, I'm a pure person. When that voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that's what God thinks when he sees me and when he sees you because he sees us through the blood of his son. And he purified unto himself a peculiar people people that would honor Him, a people that would praise Him. 
I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, speaking to the scattered saints. He says, You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter is, Peter is saying there to them that God has called you out of darkness unto His marvelous life. He has purified you to praise Him. You say, why did God do this? Why would Christ come and sacrifice Himself for us? He did that. Literally, He did that so that you would do what, you're, what you've been doing today. That you would gather together to worship Him, that you would go home and worship Him, that you would live your life to honor Him and to glorify Him. You are a peculiar people that were saved to show forth praises unto Him, to praise His name, and then also to be, to be a force of good in the world. Um, Wouldn't y'all like to see some more good in the world? I've been thinking recently. I wonder if I could start a 30-minute news program that was just good news from start to finish. Like, I've been thinking about that. What if I could? Like, what if I could 30 minutes from, from 5.30 to 6, it's just good news. Well, I have to, I have to think that it probably wouldn't work or they'd already be doing it, right? <laughs> um. But there's so much bad that you see paraded in front of you. It doesn't have to be paraded in front of you. There's so much bad that you see uh, in, in the world around you that, that sometimes you can say, where is the good? Well, what our verse here today is teaching us is we are the good. If we're not being the good, there will be no good. <laughs> if God's people who have been purified from their sins who have been redeemed from iniquity, who Christ gave Himself for, His special people who were called out to praise Him, if we're not zealous of good works, then you're not going to find it anywhere else. Right? It's not going to happen. He says that he, he purified unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous. That, that means to be burning with zeal. Here's another definition. to An ardent desire to pursue something i don't have to tell you what it means to be zealous about something right we we understand whether it be hobbies or sports or whatever it may be here he says that he purified unto himself a peculiar people and their task is not only to worship him but to be zealous about doing good works good deeds coming together today you've done something good singing praises to him you've done something good when you read the word you're doing something good but he says that the people that he has created the people that he has redeemed the people that he has purified he wants them to be zealous of those things that it wouldn't just be something they do every once in a while but something they seek out right something they they desire something they love second in ephesians chapter 2 
in verse 10, it says that, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And that doesn't mean that we're going to walk in them, but God, and that's talking about regeneration, making you a new creature in Christ. And he's saying the reason that God did that to save you is that God has set out a way for you to live, to do good, and you should walk in that way. It's really conforming you more to the image of Christ, being more like Christ. Do you remember from Romans chapter 8 when he talks about those that he had predestinated in verse 29? He had predestinated people to be conformed to the image of his Son. And the next thing he says is, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called. He regenerated. He effectually called them. And so for those who have been regenerated, given the Spirit of Christ, the reason He did that is because He had predestinated that you would be conformed to be more like Him. Does that make sense today? That's why God has called you. And if you'll go to uh, Acts chapter 10, you'll see when Peter is preaching to Cornelius, he sums up Jesus' life like this. He says, who went about doing good. Who went about doing good good and you know you can do good in little things can't you just a a phone call or a text message or or how you doing to somebody just doing good just just doing good things for others is is that is why god saved you think about that that is one of the reasons that god saved you is that you would be a peculiar people that go about doing good you know i hope that that'll that'll ring true to you as as we go out today and in my life that i want i want to go about doing more good is there somebody that's that's down that i could say something uplifting to is there somebody that needs something that i could i could do for them is 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 there listen is there a bible that needs to be read that i'm not reading (laughs) Is there somebody I could pray for that I'm not praying for? Is there somebody that I could love who I'm not loving? Those are the type of good works that God's people who have been redeemed unto Him should be zealous about pursuing, right? The good works that God has ordained for us to walk in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the the life You've given us, for the people that are here in this congregation today. May we love each other with a great love or we'd sacrifice for one another. May we meditate upon what you have done for us, how you redeemed us, how you substituted your precious son for us so that we could be with you. And may the thought of that drive us to do good, to love others, to sacrifice our time, our money, whatever it may be that you call upon us, may we addict ourselves to the ministry of the saints, that we would love our brothers and sisters, stay connected to our brothers and sisters, and be there for our brothers and sisters when they need us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time, give an opportunity. If you want to come forward and unite with this church, uh, you can do so. Um, we'll sing number 164. Uh, Brother Joshua, could you start that for us?